This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Welcome back to Political Theater. It's January 2024. It's cold, especially in Iowa and New Hampshire, the first stops on the presidential campaign voting season. We're going to discuss the early stage contests as well as set the stage for the rest of this election year with Roll Call's election analyst, Nathan Gonzalez, who's also the publisher of Inside Elections and a resident blue harvest expert. Nathan, welcome back to Political Theater. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's reaching deep into the Political Theater <laughs> archives for those it's, loyal listeners. It's only a few. It, it, it was T-shirt weather, uh, but uh, yes, if you're uh, if if you're wondering what that is, if you're if you have to ask what Blue Harvest is, um, well, maybe we'll get back to you on it. <laughs> yeah. and, and today I wore my Portland Trailblazers uh, hooded sweatshirt in honor of the temperature, but it has no connection to what we're talking about today. Right. So. Other, other than your, uh, your, your own roots being from Oregon. Correct. So, Correct. Yes, there is yes. that connection. People, yeah, people sometimes may, may, maybe they were wondering if they've seen you in your Seahawks garb, why Ooh. you have an, uh, a, an NBA affinity for an NBA team in one state and an affinity for an, uh, an NFL team in another. So yeah. Yeah, are you a, I, are you a Kraken guy? Uh, no, I'll go Capitals. I'll go Capitals. Yeah. Capitals I don't know. Yeah. I like to be disappointed, you know, at right. least once a year. So I'll go Caps. <laughs> well, the it, it's interesting. People ask me about my, you know, some of my loyalties. I mean, they, I, I do, I do like watching the Capitals. I mean, like when by the time I and I and the Nationals, of course. By the time I moved to Washington, um, you know, Arizona still either didn't have those you know, those teams from the NHL or the uh, Major League Baseball, or they had just gotten them. I think the Diamondbacks, you know, landed the, the year I, I came out to Washington. So I didn't grow up with those teams, whereas I did grow up with the Phoenix Suns uh, and um, still have a, a real allegiance, a real pull to the, you know, to, to the Suns. Even though Are you going to wear a Dan Marley jersey sometime? <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd pay for that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I think probably more... more the I mean I, I do um, I'm a big fan of Thunder Dan in those years uh, and you know that Barkley yes Thunder Dan uh, Al- Alan uh, our our producer points out Thunder Dan Marley and uh, you know the folks on that team you know Charles Barkley obviously a huge part of those early '90s teams and future Sacramento um, Mayor Kevin Kevin Johnson yes yeah I mean but I also like I go back to like the Alvin Adams years uh, in in rooting for them I mean Alvin Adams is a rookie when the Suns first went to the NBA Finals in 1976 that's how old I am uh, Ooh, Walter yeah. Davis Paul Westfall uh, you know th- those those guys uh, I'd wear wear any of those jerseys um, the my and we will get to politics eventually, listeners. <laughs> but I do want to share, like the I always had the this affinity for Marley because uh, when Cotton Fitzsimmons, who was the coach and and uh, you know was announcing the draft, when he drafted uh, Marley, he was booed at an event at a Suns event, and he sort of uh, he chuckled and said, "Don't worry, you'll grow to like him." 
I'm sure, which is like something that, you know, I, I would guess you expect some people will say, but boy, was he right. I mean, there was even, there were restaurants called Marley's, you know, for, for years uh, in, in the Arizona area. So I always like people, I always like underdogs, people who come from small schools like Central Michigan, uh, where, where Marley came from, being somebody who came from one of those types of schools at Northern Arizona University. They weren't so. Christmas Carol themed, uh, <laughs> themed restaurants. It was, you were sure it was after Dan Marley. It was, it was uh, Dan Spelled Marley. Spelled differently, I know. Don't eat, don't email us. Don't. <laughs> I don't just do people use email anymore. Except for- <laughs> That's true. I'm old. I guess I'm not as old as you, Jason, but I, I, few I people are. You. Yeah. Uh, um, okay. Iowa, or should we say Wyowa? I mean, it, the, I mean, there hasn't been a lot of polling, but it, it, it appears that, you know, former president Donald Trump, who's in Washington DC today, as we, as we are recording this podcast uh, as part of the, hearing on whether he has absolute immunity uh, as president uh, for the DC circuit. Uh, he uh, seems to be lead, you know, leading by leaps and bounds. Although again, we haven't seen a lot of recent polling. Yeah. Uh, there's a debate this week between Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, assuming they can get there if and that the polar vortex doesn't prevent <laughs> them from traveling. Um, Chris Christie will not be on the debate stage. Vivek Ramaswamy is, uh, I think he's, um, sort of, he's still knocking on doors, but he's not going to be there either. Um, so why, I mean, this seems like it's kind of in the bag and then, you know, the Democrats aren't even doing the caucuses. So why, why Iowa? Why Iowa? Tradition. It's tradition. <laughs> I mean, really that's, I mean, I think that you have a, an entire class of media, you know, the media establishment that is used to making the, the trek uh, to Iowa. It is an opportunity to gain it's beautiful this time of year, of course. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's going to be you know zero uh, high of zero uh, next week, uh, but it's it's it is a way for the media to have access to candidates to see them uh, to uh, see them in in their at their events and at the restaurants and and all of that. Um, but it has first of all, it doesn't have a predictive value. They've they've lost that over the last few years, and I think Donald Trump showed that you don't have to do the retail politics. I mean, last week one of my favorite events was uh, Eric. Trump hosted an event in Ankeny and Donald Trump literally phoned it in. Like Eric got his father on the phone for a couple minutes and held it up to the microphone and he talked to the crowd. And they but they they appeared to love it. I, I don't think that that's you know, I don't think that that's what's going to bring Trump down, but all by the, from the data that we've seen Trump is likely to win. He's a, he's at around 50%. He's about 30 points ahead of DeSantis and Nikki Haley. Uh, the the biggest question is who finishes second or third. And I think that the, it does matter. That order does matter. Um, there are more higher expectations on DeSantis and more pressure on him to finish second because he has invested so much time in Iowa. If Nikki Haley finishes, if he finishes third, I'm not sure how he goes on to New Hampshire. He's in fourth or fifth place in New Hampshire. Uh, if Nikki Haley finishes third, I think she still moves on to New Hampshire where she's running fairly close in limited data with Donald Trump. If she finishes in second, then that's going to that's going to be a, a boost for her. New Hampshire could be good for Haley, but then as you get further into the calendar, into Nevada and South Carolina, then it gets it gets harder. Um, and and surprise, surprise, Trump remains the the likely nominee. Yeah, Haley got into a little bit of hot water even after the Civil War stuff uh, when she was uh, saying to some supporters in in New Hampshire, "Well, we all know how this goes." It was along these lines. These are not direct quotes. You know, Iowa votes and then New Hampshire corrects it and then South Carolina brings it home because, she, of course, she's a former governor of, of South Carolina. Um, 
She obviously got a lot of pushback on that from uh, great you know, line Iowa before, the, before the internet. That would have worked right. great. <laughs> yeah, Iowa people were not a particularly enthusiastic about uh, those comments, um, and you know, but let, let's let's take her at her word. Let's say she comes in second or third, as you've posited. You know, in Iowa, she moves on to New Hampshire. She does well there. Uh, we have seen some polling from South Carolina that indicates that. Trump is doing pretty well there. If she can't win her own state, where does that leave her? Uh, as a vice presidential running mate to Donald <laughs> J. Trump, I mean, I, I'm I'm not really joking about that. I mean, New Hampshire is a little bit different because it's a more independent electorate because independents can participate in the primary, whereas Iowa and South Carolina being closed primaries or, or caucuses uh, are more conservative and more friendly to Trump. And uh, I so it's it remains hard. We should all be open-minded about possibilities and Trump not being the nominee. But just let's think about it this way, that in order, if Trump doesn't win Iowa, that will really kind of put things on its head because that means that the polling is suddenly uh, overestimating him, not underestimating him, right? We've been trained over the last few years to that the polling underestimates Trump, but that would flip things on its head and really be um, – there would be, it's going to be a big talking point. Surprise, uh, Jason, if, if Trump doesn't win Iowa, but, uh, but I still, the majority of the data leads us to a Trump nomination. The question is how tumultuous is that on the way, you know, on the way there. And, you know, for on the democratic side, um, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, when you're an incumbent president, they sort of clear you a lot of runway, uh, discourage people to, uh, run against you. Dean Phillips is obviously not taking that to heart. He's he's competing somewhat, I guess, <laughs> uh, in, in New Hampshire, uh, although you would think it would be an easier run for him with Iowa. But then the Democrats, like they wanted South Carolina to go first. And there's just all this math, you know, that it's tough to keep track of. Uh, but so we don't have anything competitive to, to lock onto with the Democratic race in Iowa. Uh, in New Hampshire, Biden's not even going to be on the ballot. Um, but the, apparently there is a write-in effort on it and Phillips, you know, is, is kind of, uh, trying to, trying to make a statement there. And then he's sort of all in on South Carolina, which kind of follows the pattern of where he was, you know, four years ago where, you know, he, he didn't do well. I think he, he placed, was it fourth or fifth in Iowa or something like that? Yeah, it was you know? not good. And then it got, it was not good. And then it got worse <laughs> until he, until he finally. Right. Yeah. He didn't do well in New Hampshire. The and Congressman then Congressman Clyburn got, got better. Right. Right. And then, you know, did very well in South Carolina and then just started, you know, racking up victories. Clyburn uh, was at his side uh, th this week uh, as he was down at the Mother Emanuel Church in, in Charleston making statements uh, and then accompanying him. So, I mean, there's there is something to the strategy that it worked before and there they seem to be to feel good about that. I mean, you mentioned Nevada switching back to the Republicans. Saw a poll from Emerson College saying that Trump has this like. I mean, it's <laughs> if they were laying odds at a casino, uh, it would be his race to lose by a lot. Uh, so are we we may be in a situation right by the time we get to Super Tuesday that we will have even deflated the value of Super Tuesday if, for the most part, this race is wrapped up on both it, sides. Yeah, I mean, the good news for President Biden is that there just isn't an appetite on the Democratic side to. Um, to shake things up and to push Biden aside, right? There, there might be an appetite for someone new, but the majority of Democratic voters are under the 
are, are operating under the assumption that it, that it's too late or it'd be too risky to divide the party by going with someone else. Um, Dean Congressman Dean Phillips uh, posted he had an event, I believe it was in New Hampshire, and uh, the, the and no one came. <laughs> like it was a reference, and he said if you if sometimes if you build it they don't come, and it was like him sitting on the tailgate of. <laughs> of the truck, uh, you know, with, uh, maybe some Duncan, some Duncan donuts there, but, uh, you know, it's just Biden, unless, uh, Biden takes himself out of the race, I don't see how he loses the nomination. And we're somewhat close to that on the, on the Republican side where, uh, it, it, I, I'm open to someone telling me what the situation is that he isn't the nominee because let's say, all right, let's play this out a little bit. Cause we have, we have time. Um, limitless. If, if if DeSantis finishes third in Iowa and drops out, part of his supporters are going to go to Trump, right? There was an earlier Des Moines Register Seltzer poll that showed that the second, the top second choice among DeSantis voters were, was Trump. So it's not this clean. Well, if everyone except for Trump gets out and consolidates around one, then you know, in this case, Nikki Haley can win. It's not that simple. If Ramaswamy gets out. There are a lot of people who like Ramaswamy because of his message sounds like Trump, even though, but in a different, he's a different messenger or a different vehicle. So that, if he drops- That 1% will yeah, be important. I mean, one Trump. and a half, it could be three. <laughs> uh, that it's So it's, yeah, the narrative has gotten a little, uh, it's been a little lazy, I guess, that, mm-hmm. well, if it just can be one-on-one, then it's going to, it's going to help that non-Trump candidate. And it's, so it's not that, it's not that simple. One one thing I, I also wanted to just talk about a little bit is that this isn't all about the vice presidential race, as some people have said. Like you know, this, this is all because, I mean, Chris Christie is also sort of putting throwing all his chips in in New Hampshire. I do not think Chris Christie is going to be the vice presidential nominee, considering uh, he has said that Trump is unfit to be president and he will not vote for him. I mean, he has and he said that you know, endorsing him was a big mistake and so forth. So we can probably take Christie out of the veep stakes, uh, if you will. Um, DeSantis would have to move uh, because I don't think Trump's going to move from Florida and you can't have two people on the same ticket uh, from the same state, which is why Dick Cheney moved from Texas back to Iowa or Wyoming uh, uh, in in the year 2000 because they couldn't have two people from Texas uh, with George W. Bush. Uh, So it's Haley. Maybe Ramaswamy and, you know, obviously Elise Stefanik uh, showed that there might be appetite for other people or at least other people were, were uh, auditioning for the role uh, of uh, of a Trump vice presidential select. I do not think it'll be Mike Pence. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think so. Um, I'm gonna, the, I don't bet, but I'll go if someone offers uh, that bet, I'll, I'll, I'll go. Yeah, I'll go. And, no on that. <laughs> Um, and you know, there, there's just, so there's this sort of limited field. So, I mean, this, this, this may be a, you know, more just a Haley thing than anything else. Um, given her, given that she has shown, you know, that she can attract crowds, that she can attract money, that she can attract support from across, uh, or sort of traditional Republican donors and, uh, and organizations. So, um, I don't know. It, it's it'll it'll be interesting. Yeah, uh, and, to, and to see how that goes. And of the non candidates that could be VP contenders, in a piece that I wrote for RollCall.com, maybe you've heard of it. Uh, it Governor Christy Noem of South Dakota, I, I mm-hmm. think, is still in the mix. We haven't heard about a lot about her um, sort of recently. Uh, or Carrie Lake of Arizona. Now she is running for the U.S. Senate. 
but and it would be a little bit of a, uh, a messy transition uh, to do that. But I think there's an affinity there in mm-hmm. both style and, and personality with Trump and, and Carrie Lake. So I would put them as well in the mix with with Nikki Haley and uh, and Congresswoman Stefanik. There are other people who are auditioning. I think Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas is auditioning, but I I just don't think he's I don't think he's gonna. He doesn't have the the splash that Trump would want to make with a running mate choice. Right. Um, let's talk a little bit about how this sets things up for, for the race for house and Senate. Um, because it seems like, you know, the, in general, I mean, we are very closely divided in both chambers. Um, you know, the Republicans are going to be down to a almost bare minimum by the end of this month when Bill Johnson of Ohio resigns to take a job at, uh, Youngstown state university, they'll you know, the, it'll be buoyed a little bit more when Democrat Brian Higgins leaves uh, to take a job in in the Buffalo area. Um, but it feels, you know, about as closely divided as you can get almost uh, at, at, at this stage. There's not a lot of margin for um, for either, you know, leaders, either of the leaders in each chamber uh, for negotiation. I mean, Chuck Schumer, has, I think, has more of his caucus behind him, perhaps, than Mike Johnson does in the House. Um, but it, it seems like it's, it's very close and it could be a crapshoot, uh, for, for who's in the majority, uh, the, in the house, you know, that that's who, who knows, uh, because we have a couple of redistricting cases that are still out there. New York, you know, could really make up a lot of ground that Democrats might lose in North Carolina redistricting. It seems like Georgia's kind of a wash. Um, and in the Senate map, that has not changed. That's pretty pretty much static. You know, Republicans are have a slight edge. You know, because the the most vulnerable incumbents are in Republican states or Republican leaning states like Montana or Ohio. But where do you see this? I mean, we see, we also just see like person after person like resigning or retiring. <laughs> you yeah. know, we mentioned Johnson and Higgins. They were like, we're out, <laughs> uh, we're, we're done, uh, and we're not even going to wait to the end of the term. Just earlier today, we heard. Uh, you know, that Greg Pence, the brother of the former vice president, uh, is also hanging it up after three terms. Yesterday, it was his uh, it was his Hoosier State colleague, uh, Larry Bouchon, who's been in there, you know, for several terms, a little more veteran. But it just seems like I, I don't know how to read this. Uh, if people are feeling good or not, or they're just tired of the place. What's your what's your sense of where we are in an election year where everything there's a lot at stake? Yeah, well. When we're talking about retirements or people leaving the house, not running for re-election, there are multiple different reasons. I feel like they all kind of get lumped together as, oh, Washington is toxic, Capitol Hill is toxic, everyone wants to leave. When in fact, when you look at the 38 members so far who have decided not to run for re-election, 12 of them, so about a third, are running for the U.S. Senate. So they hate Washington and Capitol Hill so much that they just want to move to the other side of the building. Right. So we can Like Jim Banks, another Indiana or Correct. Hoosier, sorry. Correct. Uh, yeah, he, he missed an opportunity to be the dean of the delegation if he had, <laughs> he had stuck around. Uh, so there are multiple reasons, but it, uh, it's clear that if if Capitol Hill was a fun place, right, it was just an enjoyable place to be in work, I don't think you would see as many members looking for an opportunity to leave. I mean, Bill Johnson is a funny one because there has there, there are probably few jobs that are more difficult than a college or university president right now. That is not a, a low stress 
not, that's not a low stress job. And yet he's like, you know what? That looks better. That looks like a better opportunity than being on, on Capitol Hill. Uh, but that margin that you described, that close margin, um, particularly in the House right now, is why I am fascinated by the special election to replace George Santos, yep. which is on in New York's third district on February 13th. Because right now, Democrats are have millions of dollars scheduled. They're, they're looking to outspend Republicans by millions of dollars on TV. And part of it is because, you know, they want to win, they want to win the seat, but they do have an initial advantage with former Congressman Tom Suozzi, uh, who, who is running. He left, he left the House in order to run for governor. That did not go well for him, but now he's back and he has a name ID advantage. And so I think some Republicans are looking at it and saying, wow, that's an expensive media market. Suozzi already has the lead. Why would we invest all this money into a, a seat that was just to fill the remainder of the term? Right. But from... So on a micro level, that makes sense. But when you zoom out to what you were talking about, the, the narrow majority, that would give up. Republicans would be giving up a seat for right. and giving up a vote when they, they can't afford it because Johnson and McCarthy are gone. And it's uh, I, so I have a hard time believing that Republicans are going to be able to walk away, but they've been very slow in getting into this race. And I'm glad you mentioned money, too, because um, money as as we have heard uh, before several times, money does not grow on trees. There's a finite amount of it, although there's been a lot of it flowing to politics in the last uh, few years. Um, but I mean, the the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee announced today that they were going to invest thirty five million dollars in outreach to minority voters who they are concerned about losing, you know, the support of. Um, that's that's just one aspect of their campaign, you know, like strategy. And, you know, the, I think one of the realities of, of, you know, of, of a Republican party that where Donald Trump is the head is that you do get to draft, uh, with, with Trump and he drives up turnout, but he also takes a lot of the money. He's, he sucks a lot of the money out of <laughs> the, what could be going into the pockets of members of the campaign can, or candidates for the house and Senate. That's not to say, you know, like, you know, we, we saw that David Cormick in Pennsylvania had a, a good fundraising term or is he's reporting that he raised a lot of money and his bid to topple Bob Casey. Uh, but he's also self-financing too. So it's hel it helps to be a rich guy that we can just pour a million dollars of your own money into, <laughs> into the campaign. This is the same thing with Ramaswamy. He cashed in like $30 million in, you know, in parts of his company and so in stock. Uh, and yet to, he found his end when he pulled his TV ads. He's like, we're going to do it differently. Cause I, right. uh, you know, I think he saw, he saw, he said it was data driven, which he kind of got, he got crap for. But uh, if he was looking at where he was in the polls, then maybe that was the right, right. financial decision. Uh, looking at the photos of him getting off the bus, it's not like he's like in the Guns N' Roses or Rolling Stone bus either. It's like, it's not, this is not a luxury thing that he's, that he's been being ferried around. And it's, a, I think somebody says he's staying at a holiday inn at somewhere. I'm like, yeah, I, I could just be part of the, part of the stick. I don't know. I'm too jaded. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is his barn jacket. Is that what you're saying? Uh, maybe I, I've yeah. heard about maybe a, a current member of Congress who had to put a, a certain vehicle in a barn until he was elected, uh, in order and had to drive around in something else, but I'll, I'll leave that for another, I don't know how much trouble I want to get myself into. Um, and then, so yeah, so the house, I mean, at, at this point, I mean, our, our, our colleague, uh, Stu Rothenberg, uh, wrote a column for roll call this week saying that, you know, this, this, it's a very distinct possibility. There could be a Republican sweep, 
if everything goes right for for the Republicans, that Trump wins the White House, uh, the Senate favors the Republicans anyway, and you know you've got some coin toss races in the House, you could end up with united government uh, un, under uh, under Trump. Now that's that doesn't take into account. Who knows? I mean, there could be some force majeure, you know, kind of uh, acts of God sort of political things like another uh, abortion ruling from the Supreme Court, <laughs> um, uh, possible uh, criminal convictions of Trump. Um, Biden could decide that he wants to hang out on the beach and eat ice cream with his grandkids more. Who knows? Uh, you know, uh, and, you know, like, say it's all it's all you, Kamala, or all you, Dean Phillips. Probably not. Uh <laughs> Um, so there's a lot that is just uncertain and I just don't think we're going to necessarily know with any like certainty where we're going for a while. Maybe as you were saying that because of the president's affinity for ice cream, maybe Phillips could use the gelato angle to, to, to to convince Biden, you know, to, to convince Biden to get on board with the Phillips campaign. Um, yeah, I on on one hand this looks like a movie we've seen before because it's a potential rematch but it it is it feels like it's either very familiar or it's going to be just crazy. I mean in terms of different that like there's not it doesn't feel like there's going to be a lot of in between either the either of those two those two scenarios. So I believe you even wrote a column about this which is that the both parties were sort of overlooking the huge potential liabilities in a Biden and Trump uh, nomination that they're just sort of whistling past what could be disastrous yeah. <laughs> uh, if the, if one thing goes wrong, you know, one slip on the ice, uh, one criminal conviction, one whatever, you know, I mean, it, it just seems like it doesn't portend wealth with the multiple things that the country has seems to have to deal with too right now. If I didn't write that, I should, Uh, but no, you can put it in the show, in the show notes. But what uh, the thing, what what reminded me when you're talking about the DCCC investment in the minor, in minority voters is that every cycle, I've been doing this a little while, every cycle, I get the same question. Do, does the party need the base or the middle? And the answer is yes. Yeah, that, that's the answer. And so the DCCC and the and the Biden campaign know that they need to make an investment with uh, minority voters in the in the Democratic base. But you also have to get that middle, and that's where things things are uncertain on the base for uh, base turnout for the Democratic side. But they're also uncertain about the middle because of concerns about the president's age, uh, concerns still about the economy. Maybe those concerns start to to go uh, away in the in the months ahead if the economy continues to trend better but the middle is the middle the middle and the base is uncertain right now and that's why just because to think that just because trump beat biden once before that it's guaranteed to again is really by the way around missing the, or, yeah biden. just because uh biden beat trump once before that's going to happen again that it's going to it's guaranteed the same outcome is really missing the <laughs> it's really taking a leap of faith well, it certainly helps to be comfortable with ambiguity if you're a listener of this podcast, but that is where we're at. Yeah, uh, I, I don't do black and white very well. Uh, I've been doing this long enough to know it's a lot of shades of gray. Yeah. Uh, but I think for people, so that's why for people who maybe believe that just because Biden beat Trump once before that he is going to to do it again is really taking a leap of faith that that's, that, that, that outcome is going to happen. It could, he could win, but it is very a lot of uncertainty. And speaking of uncertainty, also, yes, House and Senate. We just 
we just don't know. I mean, this could be, it could be a while before we even know where the maps are in New York. (laughs) So, And and I I think people need to realize if they haven't already, that this is about more than the presidential race. I mean, I know that there is, that people are not excited about a potential rematch between the same two old white guys again, but the house is on the line. The Senate's on the line. There are legislative and local elections that are important as well. So if, if, the presidential race is your only reason for turning out. You might be disappointed, but there are lots of other reasons to vote. And I, I think also just getting, you know, sort of capping it off with the, you know, this turnover that we'll, we will see in the House, because even if like a lot of these seats stay Democrat, Republican, um, they're, they're, you know, because they're solid seats, they, these folks are giving up solid seats. You're still seeing a potentially generational kind of changeover, as just as we've seen in our own workplaces. I mean, I make a lot of age jokes about myself, um, but you know, as somebody who's a, a member of Generation X, uh, I, you know, it, it has been remarkable the last few years seeing the turnover, seeing the boomers retire, seeing even some Gen Xers retire, uh, and just the the the. The, the number of millennials and now Gen Zers who are in the workplace. And I think that, you know, we, we have, uh, you know, we, we, the Congress, we focus on a lot of the older people because they're in positions of authority, you know, people like Mitch McConnell, uh, you know, and, and Chuck Schumer. But on the other end, we are getting some youth movement with, you know, in, in the house, we've got, you know, Mike Johnson and Hakeem Jeffries, and we're going to see, I can't help but think that we're going to see a lot of younger people in a generational shift uh, with this election, particularly in the House. And what does a potential generational shift in an ideological shift or personality shift do to the House? I mean, for example, when you're talking about Missouri Republican Blaine Lukemeyer not running for re-election, or Larry Bouchon of Indiana not running for re-election, or Bill Johnson resigning, these are not the members that you see on TV as the ones who are causing problems, we'll just say, or, uh, but they could be replaced by a Republican who wins a primary that is more of the uh, America first uh, antagonist type of member. And that, and that has an impact. It may not have an impact on the partisan majority, but it has an impact on how Capitol Hill either does or doesn't work. Well, uh, as uh, as our colleagues in political prognostication like to say, uh, it's too soon to tell, but stay tuned. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I should, should put that, uh, get the URL for that. <laughs> it's kind of long, but that's okay. Well, Nathan, thanks for kicking off the first uh, political theater of 2024 with us. Uh, we will obviously... Uh, you know, have you back on the show whenever you'll have us. Uh, it's great talking to you because it, I think it, it does sort of, I don't know if it calms people down, but it does give them a se- clearer sense, I think, of what's going on, even if that sense is unclear. If that well, makes I'm glad sense. I have that effect on others because I don't have that effect on my kids. So <laughs> I don't know. We can, we, I, I have to work on that. I have work to do in this year of, uh, on multiple levels. But no, thank you. Have, you know, happy to be on anytime. Absolutely. Uh, and thank you listeners out there for, for tuning in. Uh, follow us on all of our social channels. Shine up for our YouTube uh, channel too on Roll Call, uh, Roll Call videos and uh, subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks again.